Man, it is good to be back with y'all today. This morning we are continuing our study in the book of Galatians. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 through 31. Galatians chapter 4, 21 through 31. Now, before we get into this and you begin to think, I've made a serious mistake. I should have gone somewhere else this morning. This is way over my head and this is difficult. Let me just kind of give you this caveat. This is difficult. And for many of us, this will feel over our heads, okay? And so you're thinking, what in the world? That seems like an odd way to begin. And it is, and it's necessary. Uh, probably my favorite preacher is a Scottish guy up in Cleveland named Alistair Begg. Now, he preached a series of sermons through the book of Galatians back in the late 80s, early 90s. And I, I never listen to a sermon on the text I'm preaching before I preach it because it messes me up. And in the case of Begg, it makes me go Scottish, and nobody likes that, Okay. But so he opens it up and he's talking about it. And he says, it's time to turn on our thinking screws and do this and, and all these things. And it's going to be difficult. And it's going to be these things. And I just thought, oh, Lord, can we just skip this passage? But it's here before us. We'd already advertised it. So we're in Galatians 4, 21 through 31. Beg assigned to his congregation some homework. So I thought it'd be fitting for me to give it to you as well. As we work through this, if as you hear things and think, I wonder what the background of this is. I wonder... If I could read more into this and get a little bit more out of it, in the book of Genesis, chapters 16 through 21, and so that's why we're not going to read it all, but Genesis 16 through 21, you'll find the backstory for a lot of what we're talking about, and that'll be helpful for you this week. You want to open God's Word and read a little bit more and find out a little bit more about what's going on and what Moses was communicating and what Paul wants them to understand through that. That's Genesis 16 through 21. But for us, in our time together this morning, let us read from Galatians 4, 21 through 31. Paul writes and says, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not understand the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born according or born through the promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Let, us, let me pray for us once more. God, I pray simply that you would grant to us clarity. God, I pray that you would speak by the power of your spirit to our hearts, that you would apply this complex text to our lives. Help us to live in such a way that we would follow in line with this free woman and with the promise. God, that all the various connections that are made from Genesis 16 through 21 and the entirety of the Old Testament that Paul makes allusions to here, 
that we would not be so distracted following out those various rabbit trails that we miss the picture of what you're trying to point at here, what it takes and how we might be a part of the family of God. Father, we submit this time to you, ask that you would work in our midst and in our lives, that your spirit would do a mighty work in our hearts, that we would find ourselves growing closer to you and surrendering more of ourselves to you with every breath we draw. God, we ask your blessings upon this time. In Christ's name, amen, amen. Listen, if you were to engage uh, in, in any level, really, of counseling, you go to a counselor for marital counseling, you go to a counselor because you're having some issue that you're personally struggling with, one of the things they're going to begin to uncover and help you to realize is what's referred to as your family of origin. Essentially, the house you grew up in, what role they contributed to fashioning who you have become. And the role they played in fashioning who you become and your experiences and how those have played a, a, a function in who you have become have some bearing on how you respond to conflict. They have some bearing in how you respond emotionally. They have some bearing in shaping kind of how you've responded to all the various circumstances that you've gone through in life. And some of us would look back at our family of origins, we would look back at our upbringing, and we'd say, well, I, you know, this makes a whole lot of sense, why I respond this way, or, or, or this is pretty devastating. Is there any hope for me in responding differently? Now, essentially, the situation is this. That you can have these Judaizers who've come into first century, these cities in Galatia, and they've walked up to these Christians, and what they're communicating is your family of origin was all kinds of messed up. You are a, a messed up, you are really kind of a hopeless people, but there is good news because you can change your family of origin. And, and, and you can change and you can modify your family of origin and you can move from being aligned and associated with being the people of God's wrath to being the people of God's blessing. If you follow our example, if you live faithfully under the law, and if you move towards uh, essentially becoming Jewish in your understanding. Now, Paul hears this. Paul's looking at his own reference, he's looking at his own family of origin, he's looking at his own back study, and he recognizes the significant weight that that carries, the burden that comes along with that. Now, he's thoroughly Jewish. He's thoroughly Jewish. And so he comes into this with this understanding, and he's bringing the important nature of the foundational elements of what it took to start this great nation. So he goes back to Abraham. Now, in going back to Abraham, he's inviting us into this history that, as I said, is laid out in Genesis 16 through 21. But we're going to have to engage in some of this as we walk through. But look at how he begins. He talks to the Christians there. He says, tell me. And then he describes them as those who wish to be under the law. And what has he told them? He says, you're not under the law. You are free. He's been telling them over and over again, listen, don't be under the law. Be under the promise. Don't be under the law. Live faithfully under Christ. Don't be under the law. Christ came to complete. He came to fulfill the law. Don't be under the law. But still he sees in their hearts they are those who want, who desire, who see the fulfillment of their lives as being as such as they need to be under the law. And he asked them this very insightful question. Do you listen to the law? Why is that insightful? Why is that helpful? You see, another way of rendering this, this idea of listening is do you hear the law? 
And, when, and if you've been in church in any length of time, you've been a student of the Old Testament to any degree, we begin to hear ourselves moving back to Deuteronomy 6.4. And what does he say? He says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. So then, Paul's not telling them there's no purpose to the law. Paul's not telling them the law has no function, but what Paul is telling them is what you're doing in seeking to be underneath the law is you are misappropriating, you are misusing the intent of the law. So he's asking them, in essence, this, do you rightly hear and apply the law? He's calling into question the the way that they're understanding. He's calling into question the way that they are making use of the law. Look back at Galatians 3, Galatians 3. 23 through 25. He said, now before faith came, we were held, everybody say captive. We were held captive under the law, imprisoned, and until the coming faith would be revealed, until Christ came. Now what does he go on to say? So then the law was our, everybody say guardian. The law was our guardian. It was our tutor until Christ came in order that we might be, everybody say justified. So we were captive It was our guardian, but now we have been justified. Because we've been justified, there's no reason to find ourselves being underneath the weight and the force and the import of the law. We have been set free. The law has been accomplished. And so we ask them again, do you rightly understand the law? And they would say, we understand the law that we need to come under it. Paul says, no, that's not what I've been arguing. That's not what I've been saying. You've been set free from the burden of the law. You have been delivered. You have been redeemed. You have been ransomed. So now what he does is he moves into this extensive overlay of what we find in Genesis 16 through 21. Essentially, uh, how God was going to give an heir to Abraham. So within this, look what he says here. For it is written that Abraham had two sons. He had one son named Ishmael, and he had another son named Isaac. These are his two primary sons that he has that the Bible talks about. And how does he describe them? He says one is born of a slave woman, and this is Hagar. And one is born of a free woman, and her name is never mentioned in this text. But her name is Sarah. So immediately we begin to see these kind of two headings start off. So you have Hagar, who is a slave woman. You have Sarah, who is a free woman. And so we begin to see how this line is dividing, right? And so Paul is setting up his argument and saying, you're either in this group or you are in this grouping. He says, but the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through or by the agency of the promise. So if you get into Genesis, you'll recognize that God has told Abraham over and over and over again, Uh, go out and number the stars, your descendants are going to be as many. If you can number them, your descendants are going to be more. He's told him over and again, you're going to have a massive family. I'm going to bless the world through you. They'll receive their blessing through you. You'll be a blessing so that they would receive their blessing. Abraham rolls around, and he is 86 years old, and his wife looks at him and says, you're no spring chicken, and he says, you know, the same to you, lady. And he slept outside that night. Dog. And she says, listen, I got the fix for us. Hagar can be your wife. And so you're going to take Hagar. She's going to be your wife. You're going to sleep with her. You're going to have a child through her. And that's going to be the heir. That must be what God wants for us. Abraham says, I don't want to sleep outside anymore. Yes, ma'am, we'll do that. 
And this is the child that is according to the natural method of procreation. This is the child according to the flesh. Ishmael through Hagar. Through his own initiative, he sought to accomplish the will and the purpose and the plan of God. God looked at it and said, this isn't the heir I have for you. This isn't the child I have for you. So Abraham is now 99 years old. And he and Sarah walking along and they're like the crypt keepers walking along. And God goes to them and says, I have a child for you. I have a promise for you. And they're like, don't make me laugh when I do that. My ribs break because I'm quite old. And God gives to them through the agency of the promise another son. Now, what is Paul telling us here? He says something supernatural happened. You see, when Abraham and Sarah encountered difficulty uh, earlier when he was 86, they said, we can take care of this. You can use Hagar and you can have a child through her. But by the time he's 99, he's like, I learned my lesson then, but how in the world am I going to have a child? And God says it's through the promise. So God gives to this couple well beyond natural childbearing years, to say it politely, he gives to them supernaturally a child. Hagar, slave, child of the flesh. Sarah, free, child through the promise. Paul tells us, he says, now this may be interpreted allegorically. These two women are two covenants. He says, one is from Mount Sinai, and so we see the law coming through Moses, bearing children for slavery, and she is Hagar. So Paul says, listen, the Judaizers, they highly evaluate and they highly estimate the essence of the law, and the law came from Sinai, and Moses gave them the law when he met with God on Mount Sinai. But i got to let you know something. The covenant of the law comes through Hagar. And all those who follow in that line of the law remain in slavery. He says, now Hagar is Mount Sinai, verse 25. And she corresponds to the present Jerusalem. For she is in slavery with her children. Now, The Judaizers, if they have an ear to this, boy, they are fuming mad. They're just like, hold on a second. My mom lives in Jerusalem. I'm from Jerusalem. We know that Jerusalem is God's holy city. And you're telling me here that Jerusalem is in slavery? Paul says, absolutely. Present Jerusalem, uh, those who find themselves identifying apart from Christ, Jews who are seeking to be holy unto God by the agency of the law, they are slaves. Not your righteousness. But they are slaves set apart from God. And they find their lineage, their spiritual lineage, not through Isaac, but through Ishmael, through Hagar. Look what he says next. He says, but the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. He's talking to the Christians. He says, you have present Jerusalem, and you have a Jerusalem that is coming. So if you read Revelation, we see the holy city, Jerusalem, descending and coming down. We also see Paul use an interesting word here. He says, it is above. Now, it's this little Greek word, ano, and it is the same root word. Now, this is where it's getting everybody over everybody's head. Wipe the glaze off your eyes right now. Just do this number. Everybody, glaze is gone. You guys are all with me, okay? Paul is referencing this word, ano, which means above. And he says, this Jerusalem, which is above. You'll remember when Jesus met with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. 
He said, you need to be born again. Another way to understand that word is you need to be born from, everybody say, above. You need to have a spiritual birth. You need to have a spiritual birth. So Paul is telling us here that there is a spiritual reality of Jerusalem, which is in the future, but which is already right now. And Christians, you are a part of that Jerusalem. And it's better in every way than present Jerusalem. And the Judaizers, their minds are exploding. Because they see their family of origin called into question. Paul wants the Christians there to see Listen, your family of origin has been spiritually changed through Jesus Christ. You're doing everything in your power to align yourself with this present Jerusalem. And what I'm telling you is you are moving from freedom into slavery. And don't do that. Don't move from freedom into slavery because you're identifying with a broader group that's making you think that their truth is the truth when that truth is overcoming the truth of Scripture. And so Paul tells them, you are free. Sarah is your mother. He quotes out of Isaiah 54 and 1. He says, for it's written, and he's talking to the exiles, Isaiah was, rejoice, O barren who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud for you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will become more than those of the one who has a husband. Hagar had Abraham as a husband, and she bore to him easily Ishmael. Sarah found herself being barren. And what he's saying is those who are spiritual children of God will far exceed in number those who appeal to the physical lineage. He's undercutting the Judaizers. He's undercutting their argument. He's undercutting their privilege. And he's calling these Gentiles, he's calling those who have no physical lineage to embrace the reality of what God says is true of them. So he speaks to them, he says, now you brothers like Isaac are children of promise. If we can imagine the hurt they're experiencing. Man, where once they had found freedom in Christ, now they found themselves coming into conflict, coming into combat in essence with those who come and say, your faith is really anemic, your faith is really weak. What you need is a truer sense, a real sense of what it takes to be a follower of God. And that only rests in Judaism. Only rest there. Y'all aren't keeping the law. You're not seeking to be aligned with the family of God through being recognized as a people of the law. You're not taking the physical symbol of circumcision. God doesn't want anything to do with you. What do they rest on? He said, well, Christ died for me. Christ has taken my sins upon himself. And the Judaizers come back with, yeah, but we've been God's people from the beginning. We've been God's people from the beginning. We've been a set-apart people. You need to join us if you want to be close to the Lord. They feel themselves, their experience, and their forgiveness being cheapened. Because there's something they're missing. At least that's what's being communicated to them. There's something you're missing. Paul tells them, he says, brothers, hear me. We, like Isaac, are children of promise. Listen to this difficult word he shares with him in 29. He says, just as that time, he who was born according to the flesh, Ishmael, persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, Isaac. We can read about this in Genesis 21, 9. 
And further, Jewish tradition tells us that what was happening is Ishmael was tormenting, that he was persecuting Isaac. A 17-year-old picking on a 2-year-old is the picture of what we see there. He says, just as, as, as it was at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. Paul says the same situation that took place back then is the reality that we're experiencing now. The Judaizers are persecuting you. They are tormenting you. They are tearing down your faith. And we come into this with this understanding. And I think whenever we think about persecution, it is easy for us in a very real sense. It's simple for us to look at it and say we see persecution come from two areas readily, right? We see it come from our culture. Because our culture disbelieves, they are not moored to, they are not tied to the everlasting word of God. So it shifts, it changes according to whatever is popular, whatever is tolerant, whatever is is in vogue. And that changes radically all the time. So we recognize in some sense what it is to face the potential of being persecuted for not adhering to the culture. Some of us would say, and I think we can see this in different, different realms, we come to this understanding that it is possible that we could, that certainly people are persecuted at the hand of governmental structures, policies, procedures, politicians, right? They're all evil. And we recognize what it is to face the potential possibility and persecution coming from them. And I think we would say culture and government, we got it. It's not what Paul is saying. It's not what he's communicating. In essence, what he's saying is this, and this is difficult for us persecution for you is likely to come at the hand of people who look like you. Persecution for you is likely to come from people who call themselves Christian. And we see this. We believe the Bible to be truthful. We believe what the Bible says about gender, sexuality, and marriage to be truthful. We stand on that and we begin to see ourselves disagreeing and moving away from our brothers and sisters who identify with the United Methodist Church, right? As an organization in a denomination, they're moving away from that, from a biblical understanding of marriage, gender, and sexuality. We see different denominations, we see different churches redefining truth, refusing to speak on certain topics because they find them, mm, you know, I'm just not sure how I feel about that. Maybe there's a better way of understanding and interpreting the Bible. Maybe there are different roles, maybe there's different understandings. Maybe we have missed something, so they begin to redefine that. And as we stand... As Christians stand, and I'm not isolating just Ridgecrest, but as Christians find themselves saying, man, I just don't know. It would certainly be easier to believe that, but I don't believe that to be true and faithful to God's word. We're going to find ourselves being persecuted by those who refer to themselves as Christian. But I think there's even another layer. There's a layer of opinion. Let's say for whatever reason I decide to homeschool my kids. Right, and so I'm going to homeschool my kids, and, and there's a group of people at a church that are, man, they're just diehard public school people. They actually have public school tattooed on their chest. Why would you do that? Did you actually go to a school called public school? That's weird. Someone in your community had no, absolutely no creativity of public school. Hmm. And they begin to say, don't you care anything for the lost kids in school? You know, you're isolating your children. Don't you care anything for your children? They're not going to be socialized at all. You're really giving them an anemic and an impoverished and a very vulnerable worldview. We, we flip the script. 
Let's say that there's just this insane militant homeschool group that I don't know what their tattoo says because they're not allowed to have those. It's in white ink, <laughs> right? And so they go to the public school group and like, don't you care anything for your kids? You're sending them out there with all those rebels and their hellions and they're getting all the kinds of bad information. And tarnation, what are you doing? Listen, we were a homeschool family, so I feel more comfortable making fun of that crew. I do. It's just, it's just easy. But we see that how they would just attack that group and say, don't you care anything for your family? Don't you care anything for them? And then the private school, they just get attacked by everybody all at once, and that's where we are now. And so I'm just going to move on. And we, we find ourselves splitting on all these things. Think about COVID and all the various ways that this pitted us against one another. Like I'm not changing anything about my life, and anybody that does is bowing down to Caesar. I'm going to respect and submit to the government because that's what I see in Romans 13. Anybody that doesn't do that is an anarchist and is unfaithful to Christ. I'm going to wear a mask because I think that's the most faithful way to love my brother and sister who may be vulnerable. I'm not wearing a mask. Nobody's telling me to wear a mask. And anybody that does is primarily unloving and they're making me feel bad about my decision. I'm going I'm to take the vaccine because I think the vaccine is a good chance to love my brother or sister well and, and to prevent the possibility that I could be infected. I'm not going to take the vaccine. I believe it to be a, a bad decision based on, on an improper understanding of science. And it is my conviction I'm going to take it. I'm not going to take the vaccine because I'm physically incapable. I'm not able to. My medical provider has told me that I can't take the vaccine. I'm not going to take it for any number of, of these different reasons. And we find those groups pitting off and saying, you don't love the Lord, you don't care anything for him. You don't love the Lord, you don't care anything for him. And it's on politics, and it's on COVID, and it's on all this insanity. Paul tells us right here, we should have started here. We should have started here last March. He says, so also it is now. I was reading this and reflecting on this, and this thought occurred to me that we must stop committing self-harm against the body of Christ. We've got to stop it. We're going to have different opinions, and we're going to come down on different sides of this thing. Put all of these things. Do you realize what, what Jesus tells his disciples in the Gospel of John? He says, they will recognize you by your love, by your love for one another. Many of us aren't being mistaken for loving one another. We're being readily understood by advancing our dogged positions. Everybody else be damned. We don't care anything for anybody else. We just want our position won. You're not winning any arguments that way. You're not winning any friends. You're not winning anybody to Christ. Arguments are not advanced through social media. It doesn't function that way. It doesn't. You're largely going to surround yourself with people that agree with you. And they're going to agree with you. And then occasionally, just to keep it sexy, you're going to find somebody that comes in there that disagrees with you. So you can have this whole, uh, let's move on. got to stop committing self-harm against the body of Christ. Paul calls us back. He says, what does the scripture even say? He finds that the Judaizers have been quoting Genesis 21 and 10. 
And so he quotes it again. He says, cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. Now, the Judaizers are saying this to the Christians, in essence, saying, listen, you're going to be cast out. Paul is communicating an Ishmaelian gospel. Paul is communicating a gospel that's going to see you receive no blessing. So what you need to do is to align yourself, do everything you can do to align yourself with the law. Do everything you can do to align yourself with the way that is right. What's Paul really communicating to them? Paul's turning this argument. He says, if you want to find yourself underneath the law, if you want to come back and to bear the weight of the law, if you want to come back and, in essence, make yourself Jewish, take on a Jewish name, adopt their holidays, adopt their calendars, adopt their rituals, adopt their diet. Why don't anybody do that? You can't have bacon. If you want to do these things, you have no inheritance with God. He's in ple- he is pleading, he is imploring the Christians, stay with your lineage. This is why he says in verse 31, so brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. You see, the Judaizers came to town and they told them in essence, you can change your family of origin. And in a way that's true. Many of us, the ways we are raised have harmed our, our styles of relating to others. Many of us, the ways we we're raised, it, it finds us more naturally moving into these legalistic prisms of understanding. I need to do the right things so that I won't be punished. I need to do the right things to make mom and dad happy. I need to do the right things or God will not love me, will not care for me. But what we find is that our family of origin has not been altered or changed because of anything we've done. But our family of origin has been changed through the promise. God has radically transformed and changed who you are and who I am through the blood of Christ. He came and he died for all those, for you and for me. Because we were so incredibly enmeshed and entrapped, imprisoned by sin. The Bible tells us that sin leads to death and eternal separation from God. So Jesus took upon himself the penalty and the punishment of your sin and mine so that we might receive the promise, forgiveness, redemption, and eternal life. Let us live in the rejoicing of what it is to be a child of the promise. Amen. Hey, let me pray for us. Father God. We thank you for your goodness. God, we pray that you would watch over our hearts, that you would help us to walk in freedom, help us to embrace what it looks like to live in the promise. God, you are good and you do good. Father, I pray that you would help us to see the various ways that maybe some of us in this room, in this place, that we've been inflicting harm against another brother or sister, caring more about our opinions, caring more about our point of view than the people we're ostracizing, than the people we're hurting. 
I pray that you would give to us compassion for those of us who have none. And I pray that you would give to us forgiveness for those of us who have been wronged. Help us to forgive, to be reconciled to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Help us to live in the joy of the promise. There is joy to be had. There is delight to be enjoyed. So God, we ask these things from you in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen.